Blog Talk Radio. Okay, I guess we're live. I did not hear the opening credit, our opening of the show. Let's see if I can, yeah, I can hear that. So, okay, that's enough people. Stop it. Uh, hmm, let's see if I can hear this. Yes, I can hear that. Why I did not hear the opening, I don't know. That is really, really odd. I guess, <clears throat> excuse me, I guess that uh, for some reason there was a glitch there. So, hey, uh, yeah, I know, another glitch, another glitch. Okay, okay, that's enough, that's enough. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, welcome to All About Wine uh, again. Uh, it seemed like the opening didn't work for some reason. Uh, well, at least I couldn't hear it. I hope you can hear me, and I hope everything's going okay on your end. Uh, for some reason, we did not get an opening. Ah, we're getting so used to glitches on this show. Last last week, we had a program with like three weeks for the three weeks preceding that, we did not because of Hurricane Ian. I think that's the reason. We went down and couldn't get anything to work. I couldn't hear anybody. Nobody can hear me. Finally got the thing connected, so everything seems to be okay now. We have guests coming up in the future, though. We've got a lot of guests. I've been uh, the ones we postponed for the last three weeks over the last month because of the hurricane are all being rescheduled to November and December, and I have extra ones coming up. So we are going to be full of guests toward the end of the year and going into January, it looks like. Not winery so much as people associated with wine business. we got so many A's coming on. We have people who have won awards. We have people who are doing some... Uh, work in restaurants and stuff. There's just all sorts of cool wine-related people in this. So, like we have said many times before, people in the wine business, and it doesn't have to be just a winery or someone that's directly associated with it. We, we've had people on that are restaurants. We've had people on that are retailers. We've had a whole bunch of different ones on, and they've been great guests. So if you are in that category, then we will be more than happy to have you on as a guest on the show. So with that being said, today is the 3rd of November, first show in November of 2022. It is now four minutes after 7 Eastern daylight time, although next week it will be Eastern Standard Time, because Sunday ends Daylight Saving Time, they've been talking about putting Daylight Saving Time on year-round, and I heard somewhere, and I don't know how much truth it is to it, that this is the last time we are going to be falling back uh, on the temperature on Sunday. Next year, when we spring forward the hour, I think it's, what, the third or last week of uh, March, when we spring forward, that will be it. Now, I don't know if that's going to be for the whole country or if it's just going to be Florida, but I heard that it's going to be permanent. And so, but, you know, to be permanent daylight saving time, it has to be voted on by Congress, which, I don't know, it it just seems odd that Congress has to vote on something like 
permanent daylight saving time, and yet a lot of other stuff they don't have to vote on, and it happens anyway. So without getting into politics, which I don't particularly want to, we are looking at possibly doing daylight saving time year-round next year. Now, if it's the whole country, that's cool. If it's just Florida, that's also cool, although that'll put us out of sync with everybody through the winter because we'll be ahead of everybody an hour. But, you know, it's going to have to be a matter of trying to get everything scheduled right and all that, especially like on the show and things. We'll do it, though, and that's not a problem. But if it is the whole country, then next year we won't be doing it. The argument always is that the kids are going to be going to school in the dark uh, in the mornings. And well, basically, yeah, they probably will, but you start getting into the depth of winters, and even on standard times, they're coming home in the dark. I mean, it's going to be one way or the other. It's just it's short days in the winter, and especially as you get further north, it gets even shorter. So... We'll see. We'll see what happens. I personally like daylight saving time. In fact, while I was talking to the guys who were on the cigar show with us uh, a couple months ago, they all liked the idea of year-round daylight saving time. You know, no particular reason. Just that extra hour in the evening seems to appeal to people. Uh, extra hour of daylight. You don't get an extra hour of an extra hour of daylight. Although one person pointed out you're messing with nature. Well, Clocks were never invented by nature anyway. That's a man-made thing. So I guess we can do it any way we want. We'll see what happens next year. If we spring forward and nobody says anything, or even this coming week, if we start getting people get on there and going, okay, you need to fall back, and this is the last time, so next year you won't have to. Well, I don't know. But, again, I am one for year-round daylight saving time, especially here in Florida. I think it would be great for tourism and stuff like that to have that extra hour in the afternoon so that people can go out and enjoy a little bit of pickleball or whatever they desire to do. Jody is going to be our guest next week. She's not here this week, but next week Jody will be our guest. And I think Doug might be a guest coming up on the 17th. Uh, We need to confirm that. But as of right now, that's what it looks like. No show on Thanksgiving. That's the 24th. And then the next one will be December the 1st. Wow. So a couple guests this month, and then, then we're into December. Coming up this week, Monday is International Merlot Day. International Merlot Day. Oh, Daylight Saving Time ends Sunday, by the way. I was just talking about it, but oh, if you sit ins. Two o'clock in the morning. Well, actually, you can set your alarm, get up at two o'clock, and set all of your clocks back an hour. Then you can go back to bed. That is Sunday, Sunday morning. Tuesday, Election Day. I am a big advocate of voting, so get your ballots. If you haven't already done your mail-ins or your early votings or anything, be sure you get to the polls on Tuesday and vote. It's what sets us apart from a lot of countries that don't have that opportunity. So get out there and vote. Vote for your favorite person and one you like to see. Ignore everything that he said during the campaign. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but there is no law stating that campaign promises have to be kept when you get in office. So they can say anything they want. Then once they get in office, they can do anything they want. Sort of makes your vote sort of useless when you look at it that way. But still, vote. Wednesday the 9th, International Intemporal Day. Now, this is, I'm not sure, correct. Uh, like I explained to you last week, these dates are a little bit off. It could be the second Thursday of November, which would put it on the 10th. And I, But then I saw other calendars that said it was on the 9th of November. And it wasn't like it was on the 9th 
that year. It just said every year. So Tempranillo Day is coming up, I think, Thursday, the second Thursday of November. And then coming up next, well, next Saturday, not this Saturday, next Saturday is Wine Tourism Day. So go out and tour some wineries and wines and stuff like that. And then coming up on the 16th, since we have a guest next week, I don't fill you in on this stuff. Coming up on the 16th is Zinventel Day, uh, third Wednesday of November, or it's on the 18th again. And then the 18th or the 17th, the third Thursday of November, one or the other, is Beaujolais Nouveau Day. I think that's the 17th every year, isn't it? The third Thursday of November, that's the 17th every year. So we got that to look forward to. Beaujolais Nouveau, they're not as popular as it used to be. Beaujolais Nouveau used to be really, really popular. Uh, that's the uh, first release of the Beaujolais. That's the light, fruity Beaujolais before they start to age them and all that. And it caught on. I mean, the marketing plan for this was ingenious. They show the taking off from France full of Beaujolais Nouveau and then landing in America. And we distribute the Beaujolais Nouveau to all the liquor stores and everything. And they have great big displays and great big uh, promotions about their Beaujolais Nouveau and all. I don't know. There's like four or five different types that most of them usually carry. And, the big displays, and people would come in and buy a bottle or a case or two cases and enjoy their Beaujolais Nouveau. And it's usually a little bit cheaper than the Beaujolais, and a little bit lighter, a little bit fruitier, and people ate it up. They loved that. But it started to die. Now, I don't think COVID was the reason for the death of Beaujolais Nouveau. Uh, you know, I'm sure it had an awful lot to do with it. I'm sure that Beaujolais Nouveau was dying before then, and COVID came along and pulled the plug. But it was starting to slow down on sales. I was talking to a local wine shop that I frequent, and the owner and I were talking about the Beaujolais Nouveau, and he said that he used to have an enormous display inside the door. You walk in, take three steps, and there was this big display of Beaujolais Nouveau. He would buy... 50, 60 cases of it, make a big display. And he said that by Thanksgiving, half of it would be gone, and by Christmas or New Year, he would have none left. Now, he said, he doesn't even buy a case. He usually just orders six or seven bottles in. He always likes to have one for himself, and he has six bottles sitting on the shelf, and he says they hardly ever move. So... That's one example. I don't know how they're doing other places. I haven't talked to other people. I guess that would be a good project for me this year, to go around and talk to a few liquor stores and find out the story behind their Beaujolais Nouveau. I know this one liquor store I frequent. He is really, really disappointed in it. He said it just doesn't sell at all anymore. It's just not a thing. I guess maybe it's a new generation, but you would think that the older generation would say, hey, we still like the Beaujolais Nouveau. Let's go get some. I've always enjoyed it, although the quality has dropped a few times, too, over the years. And when the quality drops, it makes it a little scary what you're buying the following year. And so, you know, that might have something to do with it. But I'll see what I can find out more about the how Beaujolais Nouveau is selling now and what's happening with it. It's, like I say, it used to be a big deal. They'd show the plane, the evening news would show the plane taking off from France full of Beaujolais Nouveau and heading toward America. I I remember that, that scene vividly in my mind. But I don't think they even do that anymore. They don't show the plane. So that's coming up uh, in a couple of weeks, actually, Beaujolais Nouveau Day. And on Thanksgiving Day is Carmenere Day, so I'll let you know that. And that pretty much takes of wine holidays in the month of November. I did jump ahead a little bit. The 25th is Native American Heritage Day, which is the last thing marked on my calendar here for that month. But that's it for uh, November, for things that, that are happening in November. 
Let's see what we got on anything of importance here on the food calendar. Veterans Day is the 11th. Oh, yeah, that's on this calendar, which is a week from tomorrow. Uh, hug a veteran, or if they don't want to be hugged, thank them for their service. And tell them that uh, you appreciate the time that they gave to, to the military. National Happy Hour Day is the 12th National Papusa? Oh, an El Salvador dish. Papusa Day is the 13th. It is tortillas stuffed with meat, cheese, or refried beans. And then the next day is World Diabetes Day. That's, <laughs> I wonder if that's by coincidence <laughs> or planned. Uh, oh, 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 boy. Uh, let's see. The 15th, National Clean Out Your Fridge Day. National Indiana Day is the 16th. Hiking Day is the 17th. Mickey Mouse's birthday is the 18th. National Adoption Day, the 19th. Peanut Butter Fudge Day is the 20th. Ginger... Bread Cookie Day, 21st, Love Your Freckles Day. What the heck is that? National Cashew Day is the 23rd, Thanksgiving 24th. Flossing Day is the 25th. I think there's another holiday on the 25th that's more important. National Cake Day is the 26th. Advent begins on the 27th of this month. 28th, Red Planet Day, 29th, Throughout Your Leftovers Day, and the 30th, National Mason Jar Day. So, there you go for the rest of the month. Since we got guests for the next couple of weeks, that gets that out of the way, and I don't have to tell you what days there are and what's coming up, because I just now told you. So you can always refer back to this show if you want to know what days they are that are coming up, because... Well, you don't have to go too deep in the show, first 15 minutes of the show, and you're, well, 17 minutes, and you've got everything you need to know about what days are coming up. Okay, news, new things to talk about today. Well, not really new things, just different things to to inform you and to educate you. That's something, a word I could have used, information and news and to educate you on the wine industry. Organic versus biodynamic. We hear of organic, we hear of biodynamic and all that, but what is this? Let me, I, I am going to read, I'll probably jump in and paraphrase a few things and, and make comments, because I always do whenever I read something. But prior to the Industrial Revolution, all farming was organic by today's standards. Now think about that. It had to be, because there was no chemicals, no well, no tractors, no anything before the Industrial Revolution. Everybody's out there with their little homemade hose and picks and picking the ground around it and all that. So nowadays, the norm in commercial agriculture is to boost crop productivity with chemicals, hormones, and genetically modified organisms. In conventional grape growing for the wine industry, synthetic fungicides, herbicides, pesticides, and fertilizers are all routinely applied in the vineyard. And some wine additives are permitted as well. However, reducing or eliminating the use of such chemicals can increase quality, quality dramatically in ways that are considerably more apparent in fermented products like wine or cheese than they are in fresh produce. Cheese, organic cheese would make a big difference. I never, never thought of that. Organic farming is an agricultural certification system that prohibits the use of specific types of man-made products and additives. An even greener or more rigorous system, best known as biodynamic certification, mandates a more complete rejection of modern agricultural methods and returns to more ancient farming practices, like coordinating planting and pruning by the faces of the moon, or bearing manures before use to maximize impact. And it does. If you've heard me talk about biodynamic before, that is one of the things they do. Both organic and biodynamic farming are growing an influence in the realm of fine wine because of their tangible impact on quality, uh, 
and the higher prices that these wines can command. And I think that's a lot of it too. Biodynamic and organic tend to be 10 to 30% more than the equivalent wine. But they do probably put a lot more work into it, so maybe they can justify it that way. As a result, ambitious vintners are likely to use at least some organic or biodynamic-inspired methods, even if they don't go through the effort and expense required for formal certification on the agricultural practices shown in the chart below. And let me read you the chart. Okay. Fertilizer, natural components and manures only. Organic, yes, both the United States and the European Union. Biodynamic, yes. No synthetic pesticides, including herbicides, insecticides, and fungicides. Organic, yes. Biodynamic, yes. No genetically modified organisms or growth-promoting hormones. Genetically modified organisms, GMOs. We don't hear a whole lot about GMOs anymore. You know that? I don't anyway. It used to be a big thing, uh, you know, GMOs. Everybody talked about GMOs, and we need to worry about it and all that stuff. And, you know, it's going to... GMO our, our stomach and our intestines, and we don't hear about GMOs anymore. It's just it's became a something now. It's I guess it's COVID took over or something. I don't know, but that's odd. I never thought too much about that until just now. But GMOs seem to be a passing fad for some reason. We don't, but uh, no GMOs, organic and biodynamic. No sulfur added after fermentation. It's uh, any large amount as a wine preservative, and uh, that is uh, uh, oh my gosh, I got myself a blank. I did that twice today and couldn't think of something. Um, but no sulfur added after fermentation. Now uh, that is both dynamic and biodynamic and organic, United States and in Europe. No sulfur added before fermentation. Now, this is something that's a little odd here. Organically, you cannot do it in the United States. cannot add it before fermentation. In Europe, in the European Union, you can. Hmm. Uh, when I saw that, I thought, wow, that's just strange. And biodynamic, it's not required. I, I don't know. I don't know the reasoning behind that. Uh, you know, sulfur, sulfites is what sulfur is, sulfites. And no sulfites added before fermentation is not allowed in organic U.S., but it is allowed in European Organic and it is allowed in biodynamic. Hmm, I don't know. That just uh, strikes me as is very odd. Crop rotation required to minimize effects of monoculture and maintain soil health. All the rest of these are required in biodynamics. None of this is required in organic in the United States or the European Union. So all the rest of these I'm reading here are all biodynamic steps, but not organic steps. Cover crops require to add nutrients to soil and conserve water. Again, biodynamic. Biodiversity required at least 10% of land reserve for other organisms. Well, that 10% could be the, the crops, cover crops between the rows but it's required in, by, uh, in biodynamic, but not organic. Observing lunar calendar required to sync cultivation with plant cycles and moon phases, biodynamic. Preparation of herbal compost and manure required to replace chemical sprays, biodynamic. Preparation of, oops, low-till farming required to reduce carbon emissions and enhance soil health, biodynamic. And environmental impacts regulated to protect community and neighboring ecosystems required in biodynamics, not in organic. So 
interesting uh, there. Now, they're coming out with sustainable farming and green farming, a lot of other new stuff now. We've talked about it on the program over the last uh, three or four months, and there's some new stuff out there now that they're uh, new certifications and stuff, which is interesting. I would like to see a chart of all the new certifications compared to this. I think it's it's would be a very interesting. This chart, by the way, is made up by Marnie Old. I've sent her emails. I'm, I'd love to get her on the show. She has very knowledgeable. She's written some stuff. Uh, uh, she's director of wine studies for Manhattan's French Culinary Institute and also some other stuff. She's really quite quite knowledgeable. At the bottom here is something. Sulfur, a complicating factor. Now, this is the one where I told you that no sulfur before fermentation is biodynamic is required, but you can use it in European Union organic and in biodynamic. This paragraph says, Sulfur dioxide is used in two ways in winemaking. Adding a small amount prior to fermentation has been standard practice for centuries because it inhibits growth of unwanted microorganisms, resulting in cleaner tasting, more stable wines. Recently, ventures began adding larger amounts of SO2 after fermentation as a preservative. Both EU organic rules and biodynamic certification prohibit this latter preservative rule, but permit the former practice, since it's both traditional and widely seen as essential for making sound wines. However, the U.S. FDA prohibits all SO2 addition in organic wine. As a result, many American vintners opt to label their wines as made with organic grapes rather than as wine in order to have the freedom to use a limited initial sulfur addition. So, there you go. FDA says you can't do it, and so... That's how they get around it. Interesting, interesting. This, you know, I thought that was that whole thing was interesting. Actually, that came out quite some time ago, and I may have covered it with you quite some time ago, but it was a good chance to rediscover it now. So, uh, readdress it, re, whatever we <laughs> revisit. There you go, revisit it. My engineer just brought in a wine for this evening. This is one I have talked about before here on the show, actually quite recently. I don't know why she opened this up. We have a lot of others out there, but I guess she likes this one, and so that's why she grabbed this. It is Urban Barn, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, out of California, 2020. And then it says something here that has absolutely nothing to do with the wine on the back label. <laughs> which always cracks me up whenever they have these little paragraphs here and all that stuff, and you read it and you go, ooh, this really sounds good, but it has nothing to do with the wine. This one says, quote, on the cusp between city and country lies the urban barn, rustic yet cheek, uh, chick. These barns were once used for cattle and horses, now they are built and contain barrel rooms and fermentation equipment. This is the new barn, the winery, the urban barn. There you go. Boy, that makes me really want to buy this wine, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. I, you know, tell me about the wine. Aging oak for this long and, you know, uh, some information besides that. This is vented and bottled by Urban Barn Winery in Manteca, California, and 13% alcohol. And let me swirl it here and do a taste and see. Uh, fairly decent legs. Again, for those of you who are looking for legs in wine, this isn't 
too bad. It's not real great, though. I mean, it's the legs aren't particularly exciting. They're there, but oh, there they come a little bit more now. Okay, had to coat the glass a little bit to get the legs to work right. So, all right, the legs aren't too bad. They're coming down on the color of the wine. Oh, pretty good. It's it's pretty deep color, a little garnet. Uh, edge is a nice purplish color. The aroma is pleasant, not real strong, I don't think. I was expecting something more of a Cabernet jump out the glass type nose. But it's not. It's there it goes. Maybe it needs to. I know she didn't open it up and just bring it into me because she doesn't. She she'll open it up, pour herself a little bit of it, and let it air for a little bit, and then bring it in. You notice it's 20 after or 30 after when she brought it in. So she usually opens it up at the beginning of the show. She's good at that. There, the room is coming out a little bit. First taste. Oh, pleasant first taste. You should, here, let's get a little background music while we're doing this. Um, pleasant first taste. The nose is opening up a little bit on it. Let's do a second taste. Oh, very good. It's got some acid. You can get that little bite in the corner. And I think that's part of that's the tannin, too that's coming out because it's not that burny acid flavors the tannins coming out not a whole lot of tannins but just enough it, it could probably age for you know three or four years five years I don't think it would help it a whole lot just to soften the tannins doesn't have a whole lot of acid in it to carry at that time so I think your acid tannin balance would disappear and that's not a good thing more of a drink now wine than anything very pleasant I do recommend this is another one we've had we enjoy this a lot it's Urban Barn U-R-B-A-N Urban Barn Cabernet Sauvignon it's out of California 2020 vintage is this one I think the last one was 2019 Um, in California so if you get an opportunity then I think it's worth your money Okay. Okay. Thank you, Jazz Group. I appreciate it. And so, that is our wine for this evening. Uh, all right. Let's see what else do we have for you here. Let me go and find some. Nope, not there. Wrong. Wrong page. Is this the page? Yeah, this is the page I want. Okay, and let's see what we have here that's new and exciting. Thieves steal fine wine from top Spanish restaurant Coo restaurant C O Q U E Coo. It's a two-star Michelin restaurant in Madrid, Spain. And thieves came in and stole some fine wine out of it. Uh, let me see how much here it says. They come around a year after break-in at another top Spanish restaurant in western Spain, which also has a two-star mission rating, and stole a bunch of wine from there. Uh, the wine stolen from this one included an 1806 Chateau Yuquim and... Uh, a 20, okay, I know, I know, I know. Uh, 2020, in 2020, thieves stole some rare burgundies from a Michelin-starred restaurant in Copenhagen. So I get, they they target restaurants. I mean, that's uh, interesting. Interesting that they would do that. But this latest one is in Spain, and they sold around, stole around 132 bottles uh, the full value of the wine stolen is being assessed at at least 150,000 euro. Wow. 
So there you go. Uh, if you're one of those, then congrats on stealing it. You're probably going to be caught eventually uh, with the new tags in them and all that stuff. It's just it's getting harder and harder to do that stuff. Uh, so Hope Family Wines was named American Winery of the Year. Uh, let me see. Hope Family Wines is located in, I have no idea. Uh, come on, tell me. Uh, Paso Ropos. Wow. Paso Ropos Winery is the, is the uh, American Winery of the Year. That's really pretty pretty good for Paso Ropos. So many small wineries speckled around the hills of Paso Ropos. It's just amazing. If you, you can spend yourself two or three days, get yourself a hotel room there in Paso Ropos and just go out and just drive around the hills and west of uh, the town there's like four or five big wineries east of town but there's a whole bunch of small ones west of town i mean uh, people's garages people's sheds stuff like that you'll you'll see a tasting room and it's really really cool and <laughs> it really is it's really a cool thing to do it's the opposite of Napa and Sonoma where you have all these great big wineries and all that and everything. You go into these small ones down there and they might charge you five or ten bucks for a tasting and let it go at that. But, you know, you're not going to get charged fifty, sixty dollars for tastings. And a lot of them, they only make like one or two wines. They have, you know, three acres of grapes out back and they come in, they ferment that, and make one or two wines, and they are really good wines. I obviously I've been there, and really good wines, and it's just exciting to go around. And you see, family members come out when you go into it and you step in. The family members will come out and talk to you and tell you about the winery and stuff, and it's really a cool experience. It reminds me a lot of. The small wineries you visit when you start getting away from California, when you start going to wineries in, well, just about any other state, actually, except for the big, uh, the, the big uh, wine buildings that are in, well, New York State, Finger Lakes areas, or Hudson River Valley, or even uh, the North Fork of uh, Long Island. I mean, it's just there's a lot of wineries there, and there are a lot of great big fancy ones. But you can get places like uh, Kentucky and uh, Ohio, Southern Ohio, and oh, we can do it in Missouri, and we can go into almost all of these states throughout the the Midwest and find a whole bunch of real small wineries that are just really fascinating and fun to visit and all that. So if you're traveling, do that. I am a big advocate of that. Just do that. Get out there and visit these small wineries all over the place. But that's what Apostle Robles is like. Uh, they have all these little small wineries, and they got a lot of them in that area. I mean, it's just amazing the amount of small wineries there in the Apostle Robles area. It's uh fun. It's fun to go visit them and talk to the people and all that stuff. So, uh, but Winery of the Year is from Paso Robles. American Winery of the Year. I mean, that's really quite quite a thing. I mean, America, you start thinking about all the wineries in, in America they, and they not distinguish not distinguishing it by size or anything. Just American Winery of the Year. So, uh, let's see. Texas is reporting lower yields but higher quality for the 2022 harvest, which could be something that's really good. Uh, the Russian-Ukraine war has really affected the wine industry, uh, along with climate change. They're squeezing global sales and production. And uh, it's uh, the world's still trying to recover from the pandemic, and yet that's happening. And so uh, they uh, are are uh, we're being affected by that. Uh, last year's Spain's exports were 24.2 million euros worth of wine to Russia, 
and 16.2 million euros to Ukraine. And this year, pretty much zero to both of them. Uh, it's changed the market completely. Uh, and so it's... Uh, the war is really is starting to affect a lot of people in the wine industry. It's just it's amazing how much the uh, we don't realize it here because we're not shipping directly to Russia or the Ukraine so much. But some of these other countries that do are feeling the impact of that. So uh, hmm. complete disruption of the market. All right, uh, and Irish uh, starting to drink more wine. Can you believe that? Uh, <laughs> they are a big drinking country. Everyone always thinks about the Irish as uh, the uh, quintessential drunk and all that, but they're drinking a lot of wine. The amount of wine that Ireland is consuming is on the rise by a tremendous number of percentage points, uh, over or three-digit percentage points. And uh, so uh, the uh, thing is that you have to consider is that the excise tax going into Ireland has the highest excise duty on wine in the entire European Union, uh, up to $3.19 per bottle on still wine, and double that, $6.37 per bottle of sparkling wine. And that's just excise tax. Uh, I say $6.37, those are both euro. Excuse me, both euro. So it's uh, really something to think how much they are drinking, and not whiskey, but wine and buying good wine. So interesting, interesting development there, especially since they're out of the EU. I wonder if that tax would be different if they were still in the EU. I'm sure it would be, wouldn't you? I don't know. Okay, let's see. We got. Uh, something else here. Uh, in the Italian wine sector is gearing up for a glass shortage. Well, we went through it. We've been going through it here in America, a uh, glass shortage for wine glasses. But the Italians are really, really concerned. Uh, it says the Italian wine sector is warned of glass shortage. I don't want a free subscription. I just want to read this article. Uh, the glass shortage this autumn, which could amount to between 150 and 200,000 tons of glass. Wow. Uh, lack of glass bottles is affecting producers across the board, especially the smaller wineries that can't get over the bigger wineries order you know pallets and pallets of glass and they you know get it in they will, they will be taken care of before any others uh, and also one of the things that are affecting it is that Ukraine used to be one of the centers for glass that they used to get. Soda ash, which is essential in glass production, has essentially been, uh, has traditionally been imported from the Donbass, a region at the center of the war of Russia and Ukraine. So that is making a difference too. Uh, that is making a difference too. And back to the war in Ukraine. It's affecting a lot of stuff in the wine industry. So my engineer just came in and stole my bottle of wine. She left me some, but she stole my bottle of wine. She does that every week, though. Okay, so glass shortage all through well, the EU. 
Uh, no, I don't want this. Retail Packaging Report 2022. Free. I don't want it. Thank you anyway. Uh, here's something that caught my eye. Ohio is the United States' sixth largest, that's one, two, three, four, five, six largest wine producer. What, you say? Yeah, six largest. Uh, Ohio. But there are a lot of wineries in Ohio. I visit quite a few of them there. There's uh, uh, a bunch of them along the Ohio River in the south part of the state. Uh, again, a lot of small ones. I mentioned that earlier and there's a lot of small, really neat wineries in Ohio. Uh, some right down town Cincinnati I visited. Uh, they had a winery set up, and it was you know, literally just you know not not downtown downtown, but it's right there. Uh, Catawba grapes that are grown around there, so you don't have the vinifera, but you have the uh, Catawba grapes. Uh, California became the leader in U.S. in wine production. Ohio remains the sixth largest wine producer in the nation. Uh, about 400 wine manufacturers turn out 1.2 million gallons, which is about a half a million cases of wine each year. Uh, so it counts for over 8,000 full-time jobs, provides more than $1.3 in economic impact, and attracts 1.2 million tourists annually. Uh, so, uh, it's uh, a cool place, though. There's a lot of cool wineries there in Ohio. We some right on the river. There's some that, uh, actually, there's some on the Kentucky side that overlooks the river, and some on the... Uh, Ohio side overlooks. In fact, when my wife and I were there, and my engineer and I were there uh, a few years ago, we stopped at a winery that had music and stuff. Really a cool place. I got to talk with the winemaker and owner for quite some time. And he invited us back that evening because they had live music and stuff going on. So we stopped by that evening and actually talked to a group of people who were from this area and they'd been out to uh, Florida State's winery and they recognized me. I didn't them. I, you know, I see so many people, but they recognized me and it was sort of cool that we were in a winery in Ohio and we ended up seeing each other there. But sixth largest wine producer in the country, Ohio. It doesn't list one through five. I wish they did. I mean, Ohio is six, but California obviously is one. But then you question what is two, three, and four, and five. Is it Oregon, Washington, New York, and Virginia? I don't know. I don't know. But we do know that California is no one and Ohio is six. All right, let's get this out of here. And I saw something else that uh, Texas Wine Month just ended uh, October was Texas Wine Month. And they promoted themselves a whole bunch, obviously. Let's see. Uh, oh, nothing more on that page that is worth discussing. Not disgusting, but discussing. Uh, and let's see what's here. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, wineries embrace worms in a fight to conserve water, trying to aerate the soil so they're dropping worms in the vineyard and they don't bother the graves. And it seems to be working a little bit. New Zealand wine exports hit a record high. Uh, world's best Sauvignon Blancs. 
I was just talking over Halloween about Sauvignon Blancs to some family members, and we were I was suggesting uh, well, I suggested New Zealand as a go-to place. And this article says no. This article says Chateau Margaux or the Lower Stop Estates are really the best Sauvignon Blancs you're going to find. Uh, hmm. So that is interesting. New Zealand, I would think, would be one of the one of the top ones. And that's <laughs> the world's best Sauvignon Blancs on Wine Searcher list. Uh, let's see. Weingut, Timmet, Reed, Serig, Sauvignon Blanc, Gross, STK, Lag, uh, Starmark. I have no idea where that's from. Germany or, I don't know, uh, 93 points, $55. There's a Chateau Margaux Pavilion Blanc du, $292. There's a Trockenbaron Eichlese, a Sauvignon Blanc, for $100. Uh, Sancerre, $153. Another Sancerre, $171. A Puy Fumé, which is made with Sauvignon Blanc, $157. There's a Napa Sauvignon Blanc, $155. Another Stiermark. Another Studer Stiermark. And the last is a Stiermark. So, you know, New Zealand's not even listed on this. Well, I would always... Somebody says, where do I get a good Sauvignon Blanc? I always mention New Zealand, but boy, according to this, that is not even in the on the list. Hmm. Uh, okay, those steer marks are from Austria. Uh, they were there's one, two, three, four, five on the top ten from Austria. So that's really eye-opening there, but it may be eye-opening, but the sad thing is most people aren't going to be able to afford those. And so, you know, no matter how much you might like Sauvignon Blancs, you're certainly not going to be spending over $100 for a bottle of it. And so uh, I default back to what I was saying. New Zealand really does do some great jobs in Sauvignon Blancs. All as does Chile. And Chile has a lot of very good Sauvignon Blancs. And as does Argentina. So, you know, you can get some nice Sauvignon Blancs just about anywhere in the world if you really go. I tend to gravitate, obviously, to New Zealand. Uh, that's that's my pick for Sauvignon Blancs. Okay, let's see what else we've got here on this. Uh, oh, toward World wine output dips this past year because of the weather around the world. Uh, it's it's been terrible. I mean the. The hailstorms in the Bordeaux region and, and uh, well, all over France, and some hailstorms in Germany and Italy in the spring. Uh, late frost that went through areas there. And there's been some nasty weather across the United States that is in the spring that has made a difference, and lack of rain everywhere is causing a problem. I mean everywhere. There's There's been some issues in just the whole world in the wine-growing areas. Uh, the, the rain is not coming in like it usually does. Uh, some areas have flooded, but not like it has in the past. We've had some serious floods in the past, and but it's not like uh, nothing like that this year. New Zealand and um, Australia have had some issues with drought, uh, some major issues with drought. They've lost some, you know, a lot of big vineyards and stuff because of the drought down there. And I don't know what the weather's like this winter, although 
I think there's been some flooding in areas. I don't know if it's been affecting the vineyards. I haven't seen anything about that, but I have seen some videos about floods in Australia. Um, nothing was mentioned in the videos or shown in the videos about vineyards being affected. So I don't, I, I want to say I don't think they were. Maybe a few were, but overall, I think they pretty much escaped that. But some horrible, horrible weather this year that has affected uh, the uh, the world. And because of that, we have had uh, a low output of wine grapes and therefore wine. Uh, so, okay, let's see what else. Uh, uh, okay, the fight to charge more for rosé. You know, there are some expensive rosés out there, but people just don't buy them. And the people who make rosés, who make good rosés, want to charge more. And the, the consumer just won't do it. Uh, they, the, the perception is that rosés are an inexpensive wine that you shouldn't have to pay too much for and that it's going to stay that way. And it's not true. There are some very, very good rosés out there that are worth $25-$30. Uh, people just don't want to do that, though. Uh, they want to get rosés that are $20 or less. Uh, and so because of that, you're not going to get the price on the rosés that you really should. Um uh, they put a lot of work and effort into a lot of the rosés that are out there, and there are some beautiful ones out there. But, you know, when you start looking at different ones that are going to cost you $165, it's it's hard to justify spending $165 on a rosé when you have the preconceived idea that rosés aren't going to be any good. They're just going to be a light, fruity sipping wine. So, but the rosé peoples of the world and sommeliers and importers and all that, here's a Bruce Hunter quote saying, the rosé category both in U.S. and Europe continues to grow and is becoming a wine to be enjoyed every day, not just a summertime wine or a picnic wine, or just a, uh, you know, one of those. Uh, prices at different places, Stag's Leap Chimney Rock Rosé, their Cabernet Franc Rosé from Chimney Rock, uh, Stag's Leap District, in 1999 was priced in the high teens, 17 dollars $19. Today, that same wine is $45. Uh, demand, scarcity, and quality. Uh, they only make about 200 cases, and because of that, it costs more, and all those 200 go direct to consumer. So they don't have any, so it's hard to find them. And a lot of wineries are doing that with their rosés. They're cutting back on production, but they're doing a much better job of the rosés. I, I enjoy rosé myself. In fact, I we opened up one for Thanksgiving. We had family over, and we opened up one for Thanksgiving. And it was the first one I've had in oh, months, literally. And I was really surprised. I enjoyed it. It had the, the fruitiness and the, the flavors to it that I remember rosés. It wasn't a whole lot of character, I have to admit. I wasn't expecting a whole lot of character. Uh, but I think that's a preconceived mindset that people have about rosés, and I admit I'm one of those. Uh, you expect it to be light and fruity, um, a step above the cheap bottom shelf wines, but you know, not too far above it. Uh, you don't expect too much depth to it, and this one did surprise me. Uh, my wife had picked it up, and I, I didn't realize, and she had chilled it, and 
By the time I got around to sipping it, it was really about the right temperature. It was too cold because everyone likes their cold rosés. And it had warmed up just about right to release a lot of the aromas and stuff from being too cold. Very good. I thought, I don't know. I don't remember what it was. And here I'm talking about it and praising the the wine. And I don't remember what it was to tell you about. Uh, but it was worth the sip. It was worth... Uh, revisiting rosés which i haven't done in some time so but they are here's uh some rosés are selling in this article say they sell for over four hundred dollars a bottle yeah i don't know as much as rosés may be good it's still hard for me to do that well it's hard for me to do that for any wine four hundred dollars a bottle but rosé i don't know i just i always see that I would guess they don't sell a whole lot of those. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe so. I don't know. I, I just, I'm not a rosé person to spend that much. Uh, I've always been used to spending, you know, between 15 and 25 for a bottle of rosé, and any more than that, it's just getting to be a little bit too much. Okay. Well, here it is, 8 o'clock. Oh, two minutes after 8, and I said we'd be going on to 8. But I did talk about a whole bunch of odd and end stuff today. Not just wine, but I am noted to do that more often than not. We uh, will be back next week with Jody as a guest. Uh, in fact, let me, let me find out. I'll tell you a little bit about Jody here. As soon as I find the email that is about Jody. Uh, nope. Nope. Uh, now that's Kayla. I need to get over to Kayla too and get her scheduled. Here's Jody. Okay. Uh, well, that's not the one that describes Jody. Uh, and that way, obviously, I've been corresponding back and forth quite a bit on this. And how about this one? Why? What the heck's going on here? I know I have a whole bunch of description for her. Okay. Uh, okay. Nope. Well. I have a lot of different emails here because Jody was scheduled to be on like three weeks ago. And we went down and we scheduled her for two weeks ago. And she was going to be on then. But the problem was that we went, we were still down. And she tried to call in and she couldn't get in. But they have been more, I say they, because I... Jody is my guest, but Lexi is the one I've been corresponding with. And they have been more than understanding on the issues that we've been having. So I don't know where the information is about Jody here. I just, I had it. And it seems to have disappeared for some reason. But they have, like I say, they have been very understanding about the issues that we've been going through and all the stuff that we've been battling, trying to get this uh, this interview going. And so, okay, here we go. I finally found it. Uh, it says, Jody Battles is the beverage director for JK Food Group, where she oversees beverages, menu development and portrait relation the staff education at acclaimed restaurants Toro Kappa or Copa and Little Donkey in addition to recently opened Fascia Bruta and Bar Polino where she is also a partner alongside chefs Ken Oringer and Jamie Bissonnet Bissonnet Facabruta is the group's new coastal Italian restaurant, and Bar Polina is their new natural wine bar. So, should be interesting. 
Uh, Jody started a career in Charleston, uh, where she worked at a local wine shop, and uh, she became a wine buyer and worked in other restaurants. She was listed in Charleston's Business Journal 40 Under 40. Uh, well, all sorts of credits for Jody here. Uh, she lives, I guess, in Cape Cod or up in that area. Uh, likes to go clamming. And so this is, you know, information they sent me when they first introduced me to her. Uh, also spending time with her 11-month-old daughter, which they sent this to me when? In June. So her daughter is over a year old now. Gee, uh, a year and a half old now. Wow. Uh, so she will be our guest next week on uh, the show. So tune in next week to All About Wine. Jody Battles will be our guest. Maybe Mike, and I didn't tell you about Mike. Mike is still gone. He's still living in a tent in the hillsides of Central California, uh, or Central Florida, and working and trying to survive the uh, black bears and snakes and gators and deer and otters and everything else that roam roam our state and he's hopefully will be back soon they are working on his uh, domicile and fixing it and hopefully it will be to the point will be he'll be able to move everything back in and join us i miss him uh i'm sure you do i don't think he's doing his radio show on saturday mornings either so he sort of went dark for the duration of getting everything repaired and fixed and all that. I don't think it did any damage to his computers, but it did do some major damage to where he lives. So hopefully Mike will be back with us soon. We all send our our regards to him and a speedy repair, and we... Uh, Look forward to him coming back because I think he's just as part of all about wine as I am. We will see you next week on All About Wine. Uh, have a safe week and don't forget to tell your friends about All About Wine. If you have anything related to wine, any peoples or anything, get in touch. We will be more than happy to have them on the show and you know, talk with them about how they got there and all that other stuff. So any type of thing that has to do with wine, we are more than excited to have them on. Have a safe week. Don't drink and drive. We will see you next week uh, on All About Wine. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine.